Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 13, following along with I Have Remembered My Covenant, Exodus 1 through 6, and my goodness, this is a week late. So you are getting two episodes on the same day, essentially. Um, my, uh, just incredibly unorganized last week, not, not only with the podcast, with work, um, I was actually, instead of recording this episode, like I would typically be doing, I was actually up working on a a big work project up until 5 a.m. So uh, that tells you how far back <laughs> I was disorganized, which led to having to take care of a couple issues. So here we are. Um, I apologize, but we are not going to miss the talking about this fantastic piece of uh, Moses's story. So because I'm a week late and because I still uh, obviously need to record also for, for next week's lesson, which is this week's lesson, which it gets all confusing when I start thinking of timing of everything. Uh, I'll just be straight up honest with you. You're about to get another episode of ADD Thoughts coming quickly. Um, this happened two weeks ago now, but at the time, this was really relevant, and I still think it is important. Uh, Lex and I went on a date night to uh, Jordan B. Peterson. He's a uh, psychologist and kind of more well-known. And he was talking at the uh, Vivian Arena in Salt Lake City. And we got tickets to that to be able to go. And he said something really cool at the very end of his show. And if you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. But just know he's kind of like a, like I said, he's a psychologist, a lecturer, and uh, gives good advice on how to live a better life, um, a, an impactful life, if you will. And someone had, he'd done a Q&A with the audience, and someone had asked the question, and they said, I'm an atheist, um, and essentially the question was along the lines of like, how do you have faith in God? Uh, I've tried and just cannot seem to have faith in God or whatever it was. And his he gave this really long response. Like I said, if you know who he is, um, he is a very like philosophical thinker. Uh, one question literally t t took 30 minutes to discuss because he first had to spend the first 10 minutes of that question breaking down what the person was really asking. It's really fascinating to listen to, really cool experience. But he, he broke it down, the answer where he said, uh, which I thought was timely, was the fact that the word Israel means to wrestle with God. And he discussed the story about Jacob wrestling and having his, wrestling with an angel, having his thigh displaced, uh, made a joke about don't, don't wrestle with angels. But that after that experience, his name was changed to Israel. And uh, then then went on a little bit to discuss the children of Israel and how they wrestled with God in the wilderness and, and so on and so forth. And he said, so to have faith is not to just believe. He said, it's to wrestle. We, uh, and they compared it to the children of Israel. Now I'm going to kind of take this over a little bit on my own thoughts of what I was thinking but credit be to Jordan Peterson for this. But we, as the children of Israel, adopted into the household, seeking and striving to keep, make and keep our covenants with God under the same uh, you know, covenants that we made and that they made, 
if we are truly the children of Israel, then it's not about having an easy life or, or everything going well for us. It's about wrestling. It's about wrestling with the Spirit, wrestling with God, and seeking to follow the gospel path, which is to have faith, to repent, to make covenants, to keep covenants. And as we fail, as we fall short, to not give up, but to keep going. And the point he makes is that uh, to this person who claims to be an atheist, he said, so you may claim to be an atheist, but just remember that your wrestle with God makes you as godly as anyone. And I thought it was just an extremely powerful point. Um, he is not a member of uh, our faith, but it was a, the spirit was strong and powerful, and it was something that I, I took home and thought about, and I have continued to think about, obviously, two weeks later that I wanted to share with you. So to think about that, that in your faith, when you wrestle with God or when you wrestle with the spirit or questions or doubts, whatever it is, that is the most godly thing you could be doing as long as you continue to make that wrestle, to seek to find answers, to seek to have that relationship. Don't give up. If The only way we fail is if we give up. Even, even us, you know, sinning, falling short, all those things. As long as we repent and are able to uh, exercise faith and believe that we can be forgiven, and th that is how we will stay on the covenant path. Uh, none of us are perfect. I certainly am not perfect. I fall short. Uh, all the time, weekly, if not daily, and falling short. And yet I will not give up. I keep moving forward, believing that uh, my wrestle with God will lead me back into his presence. And and I just I truly thought that was a very cool uh, thing. Then, followed up on that, so this last Sunday, uh, we were at this uh, at Lex's home ward down in Bryce visiting and the speaker shared some things that I, three things I wanted to take away and share with you quickly. Um, just just a heads up for you, because obviously I'm only five minutes into talking. I would guess that I'm going to talk a little bit longer than maybe normal. So bear with me. But I will try to move through this quickly. He shared these three stories. And first one, he talked about how he was going to award building. Uh, I, I want to say it was he was traveling or something, right? And he looked it up on the app and yada, yada. So he goes, and he's sitting in this ward building. It was unlocked. And he walks in. There's nobody there. And he checked again, and it was the right time, right place, right everything. So he sits down, and he's waiting for a couple minutes and kind of debating with himself. He's like, oh, maybe something happened. Maybe I'm at the wrong place. Maybe it's the wrong time. Maybe no one's active. And he, he joked, and he was like, I thought maybe <laughs> nobody in this valley that, of this place he was visiting was active. And uh, someone came along about five minutes later. And saw him and was like, oh, hi, are you visiting or whatever? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, it's actually state conference. So they are actually down the road uh, today. And he's like, oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. But it brought up this thought to him, which he said, I asked myself the question, if no one, or he said, if I lived there and I was the only active person in that entire uh, location, would I still find myself at church? And that I've, I've been pondering that question. Now, obviously, there's some logical statements we have to work through. Uh, for instance, if you're, if you're the only active member in an area, there wouldn't be a ward building to go to. But for that, putting that aside, um, why are you active? And is your activity based on other people or is it based truly on your faith in Christ? That's something I've been asking myself this week. I've been pondering that, and I thought it was a really interesting question uh, to pose. Because I could certainly say it would be very difficult if I didn't have my family uh, 
for me to be, I guess, self-active, self-motivated. Uh, but I, I, I would hope that I would still be active and, and going and participating. Uh, but it would definitely make it more difficult. The second story he told was, he called it the parable of the eagles and the turkeys. Now, it's a little bit long. And the full thing was brilliant, so hopefully I can do this justice in about 60 seconds. It was this story about how he lived on a farm, there were turkeys, and there were eagles. Those are actual things, but one day, uh, whether it was him or somebody else, doesn't matter. Point of this parable was that the turkeys were watching the eagles one day, and the way the eagles learn to fly is they uh, hop up onto this hill, and they kind of like literally jump, he said. They jump up to the top of the hill, and then they get a kind of a running start and spread their wings and try and fly, and he says they jump and they tumble down, and you know, then they hop back up and get up to the top of the hill. So one day, these turkeys were watching these eagles, and they were flying and soaring and whatever, the turkeys were like, wow, what, what would it be like to be able to fly and, and, uh, and uh, touch the sky and reach the heavens and yada, yada. And one of the turkeys was like, well, you should go ask him. And so they, the, these turkeys go as a group. They get enough courage and confidence to go and ask these eagles to help them learn to fly. The eagles agree. They teach them. They take them to the top of the hill, teach them exactly how they teach their young. And these turkeys, within an hour or so, are learning to fly. And they're flying with these eagles, and they're soaring around, and they're zipping around the farm, and then they start going higher and higher and higher, and they reach the heavens, and, and they come back, and they're like, wow, and they're, they're high-fiving and clapping each other on the back and thanking the eagles, and then they hop back, uh, they walk back to, to their pen. And like I said, it was a longer parable, but in essence, the point was that how often do we see others soaring, uh, and, and we'll use this in the gospel sense. They're soaring, uh, living these lives, and we ask them, we ask them to instruct us, to teach us. We learn the gospel for ourselves, and then how often after we've learned it and we've felt the Spirit, we've had these amazing experiences, uh, we've gone to the temple and have been able to escape from the world, and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Or go to a church and have an amazing sacrament meeting, whatever it is, and then um, we go right back to living beneath our means just immediately. I am guilty of this, again, all the time. And so I thought about that, and and uh, I thought it was a great parable to think about, you know, don't be like the turkeys. And the third one was about snake uh, snakes and sheep. He lived on the sheep farm growing up, and uh, like he mentioned, the eagles, and sometimes the eagles would come and kill the little sheep. Uh, but he said that they didn't lose enough. <laughs> they didn't lose enough sheep to make it a problem but that it did happen, and he said that also coyotes were a problem, uh, mountain lions, and, and and so on. But he said he never found a sheep that had been killed by a rattlesnake, and they had rattlesnakes on property. And he thought was that was interesting. Well, I guess his daughter somehow was a biologist or something, and she told him, uh, well, Dad, did you know that sheep have a natural immunity to uh, pit vipers or rattlesnakes? And he didn't. And then she said, and did you know that the way they make antivenom is that they take the blood of the sheep, uh, or they inject these sheep with rattlesnake venom. Uh, these sheep develop antibodies, and then they pull that blood, and they purify it, and they turn that into antivenom for humans to be able to use. And uh, he said in this lesson that, isn't it interesting that Satan is compared to a snake in the Bible and in the Scripture, and that it is the blood of the lamb or Christ that cures us or saves us. Now, I will tell you, while I do think that is an amazing example, I love that lesson, very cool. I did look this up. 
if a rattlesnake bites a sheep, it will die. Okay, that, that yes, they do have a natural immunity to pit vipers. That is not a lie. But if you if a sheep gets bit by a rattlesnake, full on, then yes, it will die just like any other animal. Also, it's not just sheep; it's domesticated animals, horses, cows, pigs, whatever. But that is also true about the antivenom. So you can look those two things up. Very interesting. Uh, but let's not ruin the spiritual experience. Yes, the blood of Christ saves us from the snake. Now, with those things out of the way, let's get right into this lesson. I won't even uh, won't even mess around because I think that pretty much took 15 minutes up. So with the next 15 minutes, let's talk about this lesson. The invitation to live in Egypt literally saved Jacob's family, but after hundreds of years, their descendants were enslaved and terrorized by a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. It would have been natural for the Israelites to wonder why God allowed this to happen to them, his covenant people. Did he remember the covenant he had made with them? Were they still his people? Could he see how much they were suffering? There are many times, there may be times, when you felt like asking similar questions. You might wonder, does God know what I'm going through? Can he hear my pleas for help? The story in Exodus of Israel's deliverance from Egypt answers such questions clearly. God does not forget his people. He remembers his covenants with us and will fulfill them in his own time and way. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, he declares. I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under your burdens. Now, it says at the very end here to check up Exodus or the book of Exodus in the Bible Dictionary. And I would definitely recommend doing that. I did so. Well, I won't go into it. Just know it'll be well with, worth your time to do. So the one I want to focus on is section two, but I am going to quickly go through section one and section three because there are some smaller thoughts, mostly humorous, but still, I think, worth our time. So in section one, it's Jesus Christ is my deliverer, um, and it covers Exodus 1 and 2. Now, in Exodus 1, verse 9, it says, And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. This is Pharaoh talking about the people. Uh, long story short, this story is the bu a bug's life. This story is a bug's life. Uh, that's. I just want you to think about that because that's what this is. Um, so Disney totally, or Pixar, I should say, totally ripped this off of the book of Moses. In chapter 2, verse 12, and he looked this way and that way, and he saw that there was no man. Uh, he saw that there were was no man. He slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Uh, th this, is a, this is a confusing verse, and I've, I talked to my brother-in-law, Zach, about this. We kind of had a discussion because the way this sounds is that Moses definitely murdered uh, an Egyptian, which is against not only the gospel, but well, even the law of Moses, which will come up later. Murder is definitely bad, uh, but we did discuss kind of some thoughts of like, maybe what are we missing? What's in between the lines? What, what wasn't shared in this story in the Bible? Perhaps, just a thought, perhaps it truly was in self-defense. Like he went to defend um, the Israelite and the Egyptian went to turn on him. It was like, who do you think you are? And then he started like coming to aggressively try and hurt him. And he tried to be like peaceful and whatever. And then out of self-defense actually had to kill the Egyptian. There's one thought, I don't know. Um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me that God would call a murderer to be the prophet, but, you know, I don't know. Thoughts, but anyway, continue on. In verse 14, and he said, who made thee, well, we might as well read 13 if we're going to read 12. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of, he, of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. I just want to point out that gossip spreads fast in Israel, clearly. It's only been 24 hours. These two guys already know about the, the murder thing the day before. Um, 
But also a thought is that the way we look at the children of Israel, to me anyway, has been like the elect of God group, right? These are the children. We talk about the children of Israel in church and everything like that. It's like, these are the elect. These are the people we want to be. We want to be adopted into these houses. But when we read about them in the Old Testament here, they were a pretty stubborn and disobedient people. And we're going to read countless examples of this. But as I thought about that, a similar thing I feel like as Latter-day Saints is that we are looked upon as being this holy and righteous and elect group amongst ourselves, but also from the world. I've, I've heard it a lot, right? Like, oh, you Latter-day Saints, you just live a different lifestyle and all these, and we do, we certainly do. Uh, but it also sets us up many times for failure when it comes to those who sin amongst ourselves, because we all do, but some sin uh, a little bit more outwardly and a little bit more boldly than others. And it certainly appears to be hypocrisy in our ranks and it creates um, problems, right? So if you've ever been frustrated that you get held to this high standard, higher than what you think is reasonable, not just like because it's there's God's standard, which is the highest standard, but sometimes there's this uh, almost pharisaical standard that we can be held to, I would just like to say welcome, I, maybe now at least you can appreciate what it means to be God's people, which is that we hold ourselves to a high standard and the world is always looking for us to fail. And, and that is not only the way it is now, it's the way it's always been. In verse 15, it says, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And I looked this up from where Pharaoh, or excuse me, from where Moses fled from to Midian was not a terribly far journey. I don't know how far it is walking or anything, but I did look this up and I was like surprised on a map. I was like, oh, that's not a super long journey. Um, like I said, I could not guess. I, sh I should have like pinpointed it and been like, how far would it take to walk from point A to point B? But I was like, it's definitely like less than an hour driving by car. So, well, I shouldn't say definitely. I don't know. It's on Google Maps, but you can look this up. And then in verse 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. Uh, this is obviously, I just skipped the whole story of how he meets Zipporah and, and, and gets to meet Jethro, his father-in-law. I just want to point out that dating back then must have been incredibly rewarding because if you were a good person and uh, your good deeds were noticed by a potential father-in-law, he just gave you his daughter to wife and that would be just a really easy way to court. I'm joking. I, I mean, I'm, I'm joking about that. I don't really know. That's how it reads. I doubt that's how it really was. But I do think it's interesting that we're missing context on their courting journey because I guarantee that there was obviously far more to the courtship than just, here you go. Um, but who knows? Maybe it wasn't. Okay. Uh, last thing is in, then in section th three, the Lord's purposes will be fulfilled in his own time. And in uh, chapter five, verse 22 and 23. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Uh, so I, I wanted to jump to this section, which I, it's going to be so chronologically out of order, but bear with me. Um, it's just because it was such a small point that I wanted to make from this section about fulfilling his promises, because we're about to read about those. But it's easier to turn, it's easier just to turn to the ways of God, like to try and learn from them, than it is to just change our own thoughts. Um, that doesn't make sense at all. What I mean is, here, 
Moses goes and he does what God commands him and it things don't turn out well. That's the spoiler alert. <coughs> Excuse me. That's a spoiler alert from the story. They don't immediately go the way that he expects. Now, God actually, and we'll read about this, but God does tell Moses exactly what's going to happen. And yet, I what the part that I think maybe wasn't shared was that when things went unexpectedly, or the way God tells them that it's going to go and it doesn't go well for children of Israel immediately, I don't think that Moses knew that the children of Israel were going to be really frustrated with him right off the bat. And I think we've all had that, or we maybe we can all relate to an experience where you went to do something good or righteous, and an unforeseen consequence happened that made maybe life dif- more difficult for you or for someone else. Um, maybe it's that you had a group of friends who were doing something that was uh, inappropriate or illegal and felt like you needed to report that to either parents or uh, authority figure whatever that obviously it creates consequences for your friends. Um, I know for me in my life, I, I had an experience in high school where uh, I had I was in a situation that I felt like I should be removed from. So I made a call to someone to remove me from said situation. And they did. But then the consequence that was, even though I was felt like I was being responsible uh, by by handling it, the consequence was that I was never allowed to be put anywhere near that situation ever again. Uh, I know that's super vague and cryptic, but I did just know that it did great. Just some more challenging consequences for me that I I was like a little frustrated because I was like, I'm, I'm being punished for being responsible. And sometimes that happens. Uh, but I think we can relate. And so just know that that's part of the Lord's path often. Doing the right thing does not always mean having like these immediate consequences that are great, but the end result will always be the one uh, that God intended and the one that we will be most happy with, uh, or certainly the most blessings come from. And then just for reference, by the way, uh, you can find this in chapter six, verse 20, but Levi is Moses and Aaron's great grandpa. So that's kind of how far we are generation wise from uh, the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus is uh, what is that four generations? So anyway, now, to, the way we're going to finish this up is with the meat of, of uh, this topic, which is God gives power to those he calls to do his work. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Uh, this, is a, this is him going to the, the temple, essentially. This is going to be a temple experience. Um, I think that I think this is comparable to an endowment experience, actually an endowment session rather. And so, if I would, if you didn't think about that going into this, I would reread chapter three now, thinking about it with the perspective of this is a temple experience because that's what it is. And in verse five, it says, "And he said, draw not, uh, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground." So this is God talking to Moses. And I just thought, thought about this, but what's the symbolism of removing the shoes? I think there's a lot of things, uh, but for me, removing the shoes is the most immediate thing that could be done to remove uncleanliness or uncleanness from himself, right? Uh, obviously, he'd been, he, he was a shepherd and had been walking around the animals. Not only is he in, in the dirt, 
but animals poop. And I'm sure that he was walking around animal poop. And the, so the most immediate thing that he could do to be clean was to remove his shoes. Uh, similar to, like, in our house, we have the rule that we remove shoes when we come into our house to keep it clean. And and uh, it's just something to do to honor. So, again, preparation to receive great revelation is to be clean. And then in verse 8, and, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Um, uh, something I pondered about this is, why did God not just do it? Why, like, why call Moses? Moses was comfortable. He was living a happy life in Midian, uh, had a good setup. At this point, I want to say he's like 80 years old, right? So, so he's like living a good life. Why is God calling him and making him go through all this work, and uh, Moses is about to talk about how uncomfortable he is with having to do some of this stuff. So why doesn't God just uh, save his people? Why call Moses Saul? And to me, the obvious answer is that, one, this is how God has done it from the beginning with Adam, and this is how it'll end. God doesn't just step in and take away the work from his children, because then we would never learn, we would never grow. And so when I complain in my life about why does he let me go through trials and challenges, the answer is obvious, to let us learn and grow. This mortal experience is just that. It's a mortal experience. Yes, we go through consequences that are very difficult, and sometimes things happen to us that it's like, man, I wish there was another way. Uh, people get diseases. People go through health uh, consequences. Um, I was just re reading this last week about uh, a, a husband who lost his entire family in a car accident, and I thought, wow, I could not. I could not survive that. I couldn't. Uh, why do we go through these horrible things, and, and why do these things happen to us? But the answer is that this is a mortal experience. This is not the end. This life isn't. It's just a testing ground, and I think we need to keep that in perspective. Uh, and, and we learned that, I learned that personally from Moses' example. Now, verse uh, 14, I'm going to make, I'm going to quickly tangent, but I do, again, I think this is important. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Why is this significant? Well, let's jump over to John in the New Testament, chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I want to read a couple more verses, actually, to make this full context. It starts in verse 51. Here's the full story. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil, Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father, Abraham, which is dead? Now, going back, I mean, to the Israelites, Abraham was the father, right? Because before Abraham, he didn't come from good, lively stock, right? So Abraham is the father of Israel. He's like, he's like the way we would look at Adam, right? Father Adam, the first. Abraham is the first for, for this covenant people, this Abraham. So in Christ's time, all this time later, it's like he's, he's the goat. He's the Michael Jordan. I'm sure I just offended a bunch of people who think it's LeBron James. Continuing on, 
Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art yet not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, excuse me, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast to him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. This might not make any sense if you do not connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is why, by the way, it is my opinion that you have to read the Old Testament to fully appreciate the New Testament. Otherwise, the New Testament does not make a ton of sense in various circumstances, this being one of them. If you read the New Testament, specifically John chapter 8, verse 58, without have read, read, reading, read, whatever, the Old Testament, and specifically this part in Moses, then... The way you would read it is before Abraham was, I am. Grammatically speaking, essentially, yeah, before Abraham lived, I did. But that's not what he's saying. What Christ is actually saying is, and they knew the story very well, now going back, uh, excuse me, to Exodus 3, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. This is one of the most holy titles at this time, because this is God saying, I am God. So Christ is actually revealing to the Israelites in John chapter 8 the very thing that they were very familiar with, what, with what God revealed to Moses to reveal to the children of Israel uh, hundreds of thousands of years, well, thousands of years before, which was, I am that I am. So this title is very important, and that's why this context, I wanted to share this with you because it is a very important context in my opinion. So I hope that was a fun little tangent for you. Uh, now, in verse 19... <laughs> Oh, the ADD madness. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. Um, like I said before, God told Moses exactly what was going to happen and what to have faith in. And this is huge. And I think this is a great, by the way, uh, this is a great example for us in our own revelation of the type of answers that God will give us if we have the faith and if we go to him. Um he will literally show us the way. Now, he won't tell us all things because that would remove faith, but he will certainly give us enough information and details dependent upon our preparation. And uh, often, this was this was said in conference by uh, President Eyring, that the revelation we receive is in direct proportion to our preparation. In verse or chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Um, it's interesting that the Lord required Moses to have his doubts, like he, he, or rather that he allows Moses to have his doubts, even though he's like, Go ahead, put your, throw your rod on the ground. And then it turns into a snake and Moses is like, ah! And it's like, but you're literally talking to God. Uh, but it's interesting that, that in verse 1, 
God allows him to have these doubts and tell him, he's like, well, they're not going to believe me. They won't hearken unto my voice. God doesn't get mad at him. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't say, how dare you doubt, right? I, I don't know if that's how God talks, but that's my current belief of how he's going to sound. But, but then in this conversation, in this wrestle, if you will, he, God allows Moses to have these doubts and then provides a solution for him, or at least one of the solutions. He'll have a couple. In verse 12, it says, Now therefore go, and I will be, I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Uh, God will do the same thing for us. He will help us if we are willing to admit our weakness and rely on his mercy. And the question we need to ask is, are we willing to humble ourselves and rely on that mercy? And it's, it, it really is a lot harder than it sounds. In verse 17, and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, and wherewith thou shalt do signs. Uh, something I thought about that I thought I think is interesting personally is that the rod is a physical and tangible tool to help the faith of Moses. Like, I don't think that it, Moses actually needed the rod to be able to perform the miracles, but it does help Moses. It's a physical instrument, and uh, I think helps the children of Israel, Pharaoh, anyone, because they can see it. It's tangible. They can watch it turn into a snake, um, watches as he uses it to part the Red Sea, and on and on, all the, all the miracles, right? It's this tangible element to our faith. And similarly... In priesthood blessings, right? This is just a thought. It's standard that in a priesthood blessing, uh, the priesthood holder, holder of the priesthood, places hands upon the head of the person who's receiving the blessing. Um, does that have to happen? Now, it, it is standard, so I'm not saying, like, <laughs> don't go. But what's the difference if we um, were to pray mightily with full faith, calling on God's power, you know, without hands. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, we use tangible, physical elements to help us in our faith, but I don't think that they're necessarily necessary. Um, but it does help us. It helps us on our path to faith. And that's, to me, I hope I'm not saying anything dangerous here, but to me, I feel like that's what the rod is for Moses and for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh and for anyone else who required faith in this matter. It's a physical manifestation, a physical uh, object or sign or whatever as you will to be able to express the power of God uh, to show forth the priesthood, priesthood power. And then in verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he will not let the people go. Let my people go. Uh, it's important to read the Joseph Smith translation for this verse and just throughout every time it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. That's not really what it's saying. It says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God does something. So no, God is not hardening Pharaoh's heart. I just think that's important context. And then finally in verse 24, and it came to pass that by the uh, by the way, in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. I'm not going to go through it. All I'm going to say is that, yeah, I would definitely go through the Joseph Smith translation of this whole chapter, actually, um, or at least from 24 on. But you can find the Joseph Smith translation if you click. I'm, I'm using the app currently. Uh, you can also find it in the scriptures. But if you, it's uh, through the word and will take you to the whole thing. I would read that because... Verse 24 is a little confusing without the context. So that's what I would recommend. 
that is all I had to share. So I, I, God has a work for you to do, and my question is, do you have the faith enough to let him lead you along and do that work? Thanks for joining my family room discussion, and until we meet again, which will be very soon, if you're going to listen to the next episode quickly. But otherwise, have a blessed week.